If you like sports talk with absolutely no sports talk, welcome to the latest edition of the Just Not Sports podcast. This is the show where I talk to the people who play and cover sports about anything they like or do or love that's just not sports. I'm your host, Brad Burke. I'm a sports marketer in Chicago. Thank you for all the comments on our first two shows. Rick Pitino, Eddie George, really excited to have the season off to a, uh, a fast start. And today we are continuing the momentum because we've got Sean Fennessy. He is the editor-in-chief of The Ringer. He is the chief content officer of The Ringer. And yes, according to at least me, he is the horror movie aficionado of The Ringer. If you've listened to the show uh, for the last three years, then you know that I love horror movies. I'm kind of a fraidy cat. Like, I'm that guy who watches something scary, you know, who, who, who's flipping through and catches a trailer for, like, The Haunting of Emily Rose or whatever it's called or The, or the New Conjuring. And then maybe, like, I take the trash out at, at night and just kind of hustle back to the house, you know, or, or you're in the basement and just find yourself, like, going up three stairs at a time. Um, I've always been just a little bit, you know, horror movies kind of stick with me. Um, but that said, I just, they're like a vice, man. I just, I cannot shake them. And even more than I like watching horror movies, I like talking about them and, and hearing other people talk about them. So this was a no brainer for me. I, I mentioned last week, I've been listening to that new ringer podcast, Halloween unmasked, uh, Amy Nicholson doing a great job with that, breaking down the history and the, the impact of the Halloween franchise on cinema and, and culture. And I got to thinking, you know, hey, Sean Fennessy, recently been doing a lot of great horror content on The Ringer. When that podcast came out, they had a number of stories come out and something they called Horror Week. By the way, saying horror in a uh, podcast is uh, incredibly tricky. I'm going to stumble over the word like 10 times. Sorry about that. But uh, they did a ton of articles, everything from the legacy of Candyman, classic film, great film. Uh, to breaking down like independent horror to what Sean did, which was take every year's horror movies from 78 on, from when Halloween came out on, and give out a horror movie Oscar and nominations. And I had so much fun reading that piece, and I said, I got to have Sean on to break that down, to break down Halloween Unmasked, and why why now to do that specific podcast? Was it was it Amy bringing the idea to them? Was it Bill saying, I'm a, I'm a Halloween guy, we got to go deep on this? Sean gives a little bit more of the backstory there. And then we just nerd out, man. We go through year on year. We, we talk about the biggest debates that he had. Hey, 1982, is that the thing? Is it Poltergeist? Is there too much John Carpenter on the list? Is there not? Um... Why no Exorcist Three? <laughs> Not a great movie, but like an all-time iconic, uh, scary scene. That scene in the hallway. Uh, Google that if you have not seen it and you like scary movies. Um, talk about what makes a horror movie. Is Gremlins Two a comedy? Is is it horror? Irreversible is a horrifying movie to watch, but is it is it truly a scary movie? So we go in deep there, kind of geek out, nerd out, and then I think overall just appreciate the the genre again. I like talking horror movies. I listen to The New Flesh every week. I listened at one point to like 30 or 40 or 50 Hellraiser-specific podcasts. Uh, <laughs> that was when my daughter Violet was born. 
tricky time, man. Uh, no judgment on what you do to, to keep yourself awake in the middle of the night when you get a colicky kid, okay? Uh, you, you, you try raising my daughter. We'll see how many Hellraiser podcasts you're downloading. Okay, mister? All right? But anyway, super fun. This is kind of like my bag and my jam. Uh, go download Halloween Unmasked. And then stick around afterwards. I'm going to give you my distraction for the week. Again, maybe some more horror movie nuggets for you. Uh, and I'm going to tease our interview next week. And you not want to miss that. All right, let's get to the Horror, 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 horror. <laughs> Let's get to the horror. I will say I don't I don't talk sports on this show, but I was very much moved by your impassioned uh, hatred for Mike Scott. So it, <laughs> if you if you want to if you want to rail against him for thirty seconds, the floor is yours. Um, I think I'm on the record. You know, the man cheated. <laughs> he cheated, and and he deserves all of the the, the, the criticism he's going to receive for the rest of his time. Yeah, no, that's that's totally fair. Um, okay, so so horror movies. You guys have done so much really great content this month about it. We're going to talk about a lot of it. I want to start with this. Do you, do you remember the first horror movie you ever saw and its impact on you? Ah, that's a really good question. I don't I don't have one of those kind of life-altering origin stories where I, you know, saw The Shining in theaters and it changed me forever. Right. Um it, you know, it probably is something mediocre and troubling at the age of like 7, like maybe Killer Clowns from Outer Space. I remember that being on HBO a lot. Yep. And being really confused and and haunted and and also sort of laughing at the same time. And I think that actually probably informed a lot of the kinds of horror that I ended up liking a lot as I grew up, the sort of like Sam Raimi sort of self-aware slapsticky horror that I'm 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 really into. Like Peter Jackson was making movies like that, and I love the classics and I love The Exorcist and I love The Shining and movies like that. But there's something about um, the fun that goes into those movies right. that probably infected me at an early age. Yeah, unfortunately, my first horror movie was Friday the 13th Part 5, which is generally like the, the worst horror <laughs> movie of all time. Now, you said like that mix of horror comedy self-aware, I would argue the hardest to pull off. Mm-hmm. Who do you, I mean, you've mentioned some of the greatest, uh, you know, Peter Jackson, Raimi, but why do you feel like more um, filmmakers haven't really taken a shot at trying to do that? Well, like you say, it's really hard to do. And I think there's also something kind of historically, and this is changing a little bit right now, but historically it's kind of low rent. It's low grade. It's not respectable. And so, you know, the money may be good and it's actually an easy way to make a film for less money, but there's just not anything respectable about it. The whole impetus for the horror Oscar story that I wrote was that just that these movies don't often get the credit that they deserve in when it comes to awards time. And so, you know, there's, there is no Martin Scorsese horror movie because in many ways maybe he just doesn't like horror movies, but also because they don't necessarily, um, you know, press the buttons that a lot of classical filmmakers want to want to press. And so what you have is this generation of filmmakers through the 70s and the 80s who probably couldn't have gotten the opportunity to make a movie like Gandhi, and so they made Evil Dead 2. <laughs> exactly. And you mentioned 70s, 80s. I, I was thinking about what is your preferred best era for 
horror movie. And I, I think the, the basic categories would probably be something along the lines of you've got your Universal Classic Monsters era, you've got 74 to maybe mid-80s, and then you've got the Renaissance post-Scream in the late 90s heading into the early 2000s. And then I think the last five years, uh, the, the Ringer and a lot of your work has made the case that we are in sort of a new golden age for you know true auteurs taking a run at some some really great weighty subject matter. So do you have a preferred era that you think of as as the pinnacle of of, uh, of horror? Yeah, I think it's, it's probably the my my personal favorite is probably the Rosemary's Baby, Carrie, The Exorcist, all the way up until Alien and The Shining. That's sort of like late sixties into the early eighties period. Yeah. Um, just because I think from a purely filmmaking perspective, those are the biggest achievements that we've had in the genre. Um, and I also just I've watched those movies the most out of all of the movies that we're talking about. But I do think that there's clearly a moment happening right now. I think the thing that's happening in the moment is there have been pretty much great or at least interesting horror movies for the last 15 years or so. The, the mid-90s was the last time that the genre was in kind of a weird spot. Um, but this century, the movies have mostly been good. The thing that has changed in the last few years is the movies are really big. You know, Get Out mm-hmm. and A Quiet Place are just really, there's very little precedent for movies like that, being as popular as they are, given the stakes, given the stars, given you know how much those movies cost to make and what the ideas for them are. So it's just been exciting to watch those kinds of movies become the center of the conversation because I have such a sincere relationship to the genre. Um, but, you know, I think that, re- like I said, the only really super fallow period is that, you know, probably around that Friday the 13th Part 5 era where things, <laughs> you know, those those franchises were just kind of running on a treadmill and trying to iterate on the same idea over and over and over again. And it took kind of Scream and some found footage movies to revive the genre a bit. I'm optimistic about this Halloween reboot, but do you feel like these franchises are going to ultimately be time capsules that we have to let go of? Or do you feel like there there still could be a version of whether it's Hellraiser, Nightmare on Elm Street, Texas Chainsaw that could that could continue on and not just feel like a carbon copy that's just a, a, an inferior product? Well, I think when you remake it, sometimes it's a bit of a verdict on the pliability and the necessity of the idea and the sort of like the long lasting power of the idea. Um, you know, we keep making Robin Hood movies, you know, we keep making <laughs> right. movies like Snow White movies. There, there are fairy tales and fables and historical, you know, movie franchises or theater franchises that are revived, you know, every 10, 20, 40, 50, 70 years for a reason, because there's something in the story that is powerful, that is undeniable. Like if you look at what just what happened with the star is born, um, this is the, fourth time and if you're if you're listening your definition the fifth time we've had a movie with this story and it still works and people still connect to it so i think even though i don't think that hellraiser and a star is born have very much in common um what they do have in common is that if there's something else to say with a with a hellraiser story and someone talented enough comes along then i think it can be useful and i think it can kind of continue to iterate on itself for the next you know century if there isn't as much to say in that story and it's not as powerful or it was just a moment in time, then it'll it'll evaporate. It'll go away. You guys are doing this huge podcast series now with Amy Nicholson about it. I think it's been great. I've listened to the first few. Um, and where did the idea come from? Was this something that she brought to you or was this just, you know, I mean, Bill's been talking about Halloween in, in columns for, for a decade plus. Was this just kicking around your offices and now felt like the right time? Yeah. So it originally started because we were planning to do a show like this about a different movie franchise. And we had been talking to a studio and we had been brainstorming with them and figuring out the best way to tell the story of this franchise. 
And then for whatever reason, we got a call from the studio and it fell through. They said they couldn't do it and they couldn't commit the time. They couldn't commit the talent. So we were without an idea. And, you know, I'm a, a huge horror buff. And as you said, Bill is massively into Halloween in particular. And I said, what if we just did Halloween? You know, Blumhouse is putting out. It's not a reboot. It's a. It's essentially a continuation of right, the original right. film. Um, and their film is coming out in October. We know we want to dip our toes into the narrative podcasting space. We know that we want to do it in our way about something that is important to us. We didn't want to just try to make a true crime show that didn't really have anything to do with what The Ringer was. So, um, you know, I've known Amy for a few years. I've always admired her. I think she's a great podcaster. I think she's a really great journalist, a great critic. She, I knew she had written about horror before. So it all kind of made sense. And I knew, you know, just having read... Um, Jason Zinneman wrote a great book about the history of horror about 10 years ago. And having read that book and having read a couple of histories, having read Carol Clover's writing about mm-hmm. horror movies, I knew there was a lot to say about horror. And there was a lot to unpack. And there was a lot about John Carpenter's career. And there was a lot about Jamie Lee Curtis's career. And, you know, it just felt like a rich text. So, yeah, we, we asked Amy if she wanted to do it. She did. We, uh, you know, worked with a product, co-production team called Neon Hum, and and we're making it, and it's been great so far. I'm glad you brought up Carol Clover because in the last version or the last episode that I listened to from Amy, that, that's one of the first things I thought of was this is a really interesting, um, you know, psychological analysis of the character, but also a little bit more behind the themes. It's it's really it's really a fascinating glimpse at the at a lot that's going on within the film. And w- was that really the intent going in, or or as you sort of peeled back layers of the onion, you just found more and more that you wanted to explore? Well, I think if you bring on someone like Amy, who's so dynamic and creative and has a lot of ideas, plus some of the ideas that we had, you get, we got, we knew we were going to get kind of a mixed bag and we wanted every episode to be unique. The episode that went live today, um, today's Thursday, the 11th, we, uh, it's all about Jamie Lee Curtis and who she is and how, you know, she's the daughter of Janet Lee, who of course is a famous scream queen. She is this Hollywood legend but she also had a complex and complicated career. Laurie Strode is a complex and, com- and complicated character. We knew that we wanted each episode to have these kind of individuated identities. And the best way to do that is to kind of pull from every resource. So some of it can be historical, but some of it needs to be intellectual or idea-driven. And that has kind of made it for a show that is a grab bag, but a grab bag in the way that we wanted it to be. I think the sequels of this franchise are are more unique than most in that they, you know, it 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 tried to become an anthology. I actually once interviewed back in the way back in the day, I was an entertainment reporter for a couple of years, and I interviewed Tommy Lee Wallace about Part Three and just what was going on. Um, so, I mean, the legacy of Halloween is is complicated. The the the, the first film is so universally kind of rev- universally revered, and yet the sequels took. Way crazy detours. I mean, Paul Rudd's in one of them. Uh, so, how much time did you debate, you know, diving into uh, the franchise as opposed to just the film? There was a time when we were going to spend more time on those movies. I am also quite interested in uh, part three and <laughs> fascinated by the choices made in it. Uh, I think ultimately we felt like in order to tell the story in eight episodes in full, leading all the way up to the present day film that's coming out this month, um, we needed to compress it a little bit. But we're, we're interested in it, and I believe it's episode five that starts to dig deep into the, um, the sequels. And, you know, there's plenty to say. I think that those sequels still are considerably better than, you know, the Friday the 13th sequels, for my money. Um, even though I think by the time you get, we get to sort of four and five, things become quite repetitive. Um, but, you know, it, it's just one of those things where 
we had too much material. We had too much to say about everything, which is always a, a, a good sign that you're working on the right thing. Well, you also wrote one of my favorite pieces all, all month about what if horror movies had their own Oscars category? Where did you get this idea? How long has this been kind of kicking around your head? Um, and, and, and when did you kind of, when you were into it, what, did you ever have any, um, a moment where you just got either super pumped or just <laughs> questioned your existence? Like, what am I doing? Like, I, I, I'm, now dive, I'm now comparing Leprechaun versus something else from whatever year it came out. <laughs> well, uh, that's a very, it's very nice of you to say. I had a lot of fun writing this. Um, it was justification for hours and hours of hours of my life wasted. You know, it just, <laughs> I've spent so much time watching bad horror movies. And it's also, it's a, it's a genre that has been kind of fascinating to me, but that I've very rarely written about in my career. And I was excited to have the opportunity to kind of dump all of this information into the world and then kind of arrange it in an interesting way. I wasn't calling it the, hor- the horror Oscars, actually. I was just, we were trying to figure out a couple of signature pieces to accompany the launch of the Halloween podcast. And I just started making a list of the best horror movies, which is something that, you know, at The Ringer, we do that kind of thing all the time. <laughs> and, and as I was doing it, I was like looking at, you know, these sort of, um, these moments where, you know, there would be three or four really great films in one year and trying to figure out why that was and try to apply some sort of meaning to those things. And then I started organizing each year by year. And then I just built up the whole list. And I was just like, this is every single good movie. If, if somebody asked me where to start with horror movies since Halloween, this is what I would give them. And then I sent it to Bill and I was like, I feel like we should do something with this. I don't know what it is. I think this was on an idle Saturday. And Bill was like, this is the horror Oscars. That's exactly what this is. That's what you should call it. Hmm. And that's how it happened. And then, you know, that's like a, that's a Bill thing. He's got a, just such a great brain for knowing how to easily explain and clarify an idea like that. You know, when I first saw it, I was starting to scroll in and my, and my first thought was like, uh-oh, because horror fans online are some of the most obnoxious. And, <laughs> but as I started to go through, I was like, I think this is going to be pretty well received. I, it felt like you had a nice balance. You clearly knew the space and, and were, you know, making justifiable choices, but at the same time kind of stretching out and, and, and staking a claim to opinions that were your own. What was the reaction that you got? I saw you tweet a little bit about some specific things people had talked about but overall like what was the reaction people were really nice i mean it was very well read which is always nice um and you're right that fans of the genre are very persnickety and i know that because i (laughs) am very persnickety and when stuff like this comes out i usually am pretty eagle-eyed about it uh i'm i put care into it to make sure that i was kind of accessing not just the right movies but all different kinds of movies to make sure that there were movies they were not. It wasn't just America. That it wasn't just um, that there were foreign language films. That it wasn't just big studio films. That there was a lot of independent work. That it wasn't just male filmmakers. That it wasn't just white filmmakers. I was really trying to see as much of the spectrum of the 40 years as I could. Um, I got a lot of shit for not picking the thing, and <laughs> you know I understand that. I I love Poltergeist, and I have always loved Poltergeist, and I I probably could have made a credible case for for Tenebrae, the Dario Argento movie from that year, too, um, in 82. The reason I didn't pick the thing, and I, 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 did, I did tweet about this, is just, um, you know, we, we're devoting an entire podcast to John Carpenter, the life career and genius of John Carpenter. <laughs> right. And I, we also I picked two other John Carpenter movies in this list. I mean, John Carpenter could have won every single year he made a movie. He is probably the best horror filmmaker, living, film, living horror filmmaker. So... Um, you know, you just you make political choices sometimes. Were there any other years that were particularly hard for you, or or that you are still maybe wrestling with? And I'm so I say this as someone who 
whether it's listening to a podcast or looking at something I've written, I'll always take a red pen to it for life. Um, so is there anything that you're still kicking around your head and, or questioning? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I think there's definitely a case for like Hellraiser over Evil Dead 2. You know, there's, there's a case for, um, you know, it's a movie that I really love is Gremlins 2. Um, and I picked uh, Misery in 19, <laughs> 1990, but I've always, in the same vein of the sort of like horror comedy, I always thought Gremlins 2 was one of the cleverest movies ever made. Um, and there's, of course, that great Key and Peele sketch that kind of like underlines how genius that movie is. Right. Um, I don't know. What, what, which ones did you have a problem with? Quibble with me. Okay, I didn't have any real problems. I, you mentioned 1990. I, I wanted to know, like, you've got things like Gremlins 2, which I would consider the original Gremlins more horror. Uh, the second one, I, I almost thought was like straight comedy. And you had mm-hmm. movies like Irreversible on the list, which I think of as like almost pure sort of drama. So from your perspective, what was your criteria for what counts as a horror movie? Um, that's a, that's a good question that I will not give you a straight answer to. Um, <laughs> Fair I, enough. I, I think it's, I think it's tricky when you're making lists like this to, to narrowly define your parameters. And we've made so many lists at the site that we always make a joke about how the minute we try to explain something too clearly is the minute that we'll get hanged for it. And I, so I don't want to be hanged for it. I think it was more just if a film aspires to disturb you in some way, is that essentially it hits the genre. And Irreversible is disturbing in a very real, upsetting, practical way. Um, and, you know, what we do in the shadows is, is not disturbing in quite the same way. It's sort of ridiculously disturbing. And so I wanted there to be a wide berth there for interpretation. Yeah, and, and the only other one from that year was, it's really hard to ignore Exorcist Three because the one scene is so powerful, the beheading. But... Um, I don't think the movie's all that great. So did you ever, did you consider that one at all? Yeah. You know, it's funny that you say that. A couple of people mentioned that to me as well. I don't think that movie's good, but I do, I do agree that it has kind of one of the all-time scares. Yeah. And, you know, a couple of people noted to me that next year we should just do the all-time scares, and maybe that's what I'll do. We'll just, just do individuated scenes. <laughs> How about, did you ever think about Pan's Labyrinth as qualifying as horror? Hmm. You know, it never occurred to me. I think that there is this interesting boundary between creature feature and horror movie. And I did have uh, Guillermo del Toro movie on this list, Kronos. Um, but it, it never occurred to me. Should I have had Pans on there? Well, Wicker Man with Nicolas Cage was, was in that year. So may- <laughs> maybe maybe any <laughs> anything that wasn't that might have probably applied. But there is a lot of, I guess there is a lot of like violence against women in that movie in a weird way. So like it's, it's horrifying for all the wrong reasons. But like... Um, yeah, I don't. I don't know. And I again, I, some of the quibbles I had were not so much. They're not quibbles. They were kind of like like I, I was actually pretty happy to see things nominated in years like things like Tales from the Crypt, Demon Knight, which I, I admittedly was a that was an era for horror movies where the studios were just making garbage. But I think that's a, a low key fun one. Like Billy Zane's great in that movie. Like it's it's way better than I think it deserved to be. Like there's other things like that that you that you you have nominated that I felt were um inspired choices. I agree with you. It it was not as difficult as I expected it to be. I think also just broadening the pool beyond American films made it easier and especially in sort of the mid to late 90s when, you know, movies like um uh, Ringu come around and um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, like movies like Audition and 
and ravenous. And I think if I, or Juwan, like I think if I hadn't, hadn't had that, it would have been a little bit more difficult to fill out the list. But yeah, I'm 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 pretty happy with it. It's it's funny too that you mentioned Demon Knight because I didn't rewatch very many movies. Most of the movies I rewatched to write this were some of the early stuff. Like I hadn't seen Videodrome in like ten years, so I rewatched Videodrome. But for whatever reason, I rewatched Demon Knight, and I completely agree. Billy Zane is incredible in it, and it's a very enjoyable movie. <laughs> right. I mean, the only I really don't like the original Pet Cemetery film, but that year was terrible so i mean what were you gonna do jason takes manhattan or puppet master like no way um very hard i know that that's that's really bad and, and i and the trailer for pet cemetery just came out and i think i think i was looking at it and i go you know yeah it looks like the tone looks better the cast looks pretty good but i just don't like that story like i think that's one of his more overrated stories if you will because not much really happens and i just feel like yeah at a certain point i don't find this cat scary i'm sorry yeah i hear you um it's not one of my favorite stories of his either and that movie is it has its merits i think it's also probably it benefited from just being something i saw at the right time you know i'm sure yeah. i saw it when i was 8 years old and it it messed me up <laughs> and so if i had watched it today i would have felt like oh this is kind of raggedy and it's not that well directed i mean i appreciated it you know, it was Mary Lambert, and it was just highly unusual for a woman to get a chance to make a movie like that at that time. Yeah. Um, and as you said, like, the movies out here just suck. Jason takes a puppet master, shocker, and Tetsuo, which is an interesting movie, but it's kind of strange. Um, that's a pretty, that, that's probably the saddest, you know, quintet of movies that are nominated. Yeah. So before I ask you what you think your best, the best year was, I, I will ask your praise of The Shining was intense. I mean, you, you say it's not just one of the best horror movies, it's really one of the best movies ever made what is it about the film i mean and look i'm someone who's fully aware of the myth making of kubrick you don't probably strike me as someone who is watching room to uh, what is it room 238 to 237 whatever it is yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and saying oh i really believe this is about you know the persecution of native americans so what is it about the craft of that storytelling and, and what kubrick did to that that you think makes it an all-time film that transcends the horror genre Mm, this is a this is very film nerdy, but it, it it is actually the filmmaking. It's the way, and there there are a handful of documentaries about the making of that movie and the things that he put the actors through, but also sort of the technical achievement, the tone, the colors, the way that it's shot. Um, that I think is just incredible and incredibly involving, and the, the music kind of lives inside me forever. And I think it's as much a movie that is terrifying as it is a movie that is working hard to unpack like the male psyche you know it seems very invested in people who are committed to the things that they think they're supposed to be doing and so yeah i don't i just I, i'm still moved by it i still love watching it i saw it on a big screen a couple of years ago it was overwhelming um so it, it's one of those movies that's a reminder of why i like to watch and write and think about movies all the time yeah you mentioned the music for that it it, it it's similar to the music from halloween in that it's 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 almost hard to de describe out loud as I'm trying to, I'm struggling to find the words for it, but it's, it's almost just after a while, a series of, of tones as opposed to something that's trying to be an overwrought score. And it does evoke certain tension and moods in ways that I don't think a lot of other horror movies try to do enough. Does that make sense? Or would you agree with that? Completely. I don't know if you watched, um, Twin Peaks, the return last year, but, um, in the eighth episode of that, that season of TV, David Lynch uses this Penderecki score that is in The Shining, and it's incredibly effective and incredibly unnerving. 
and there's just something unique about those sounds that just you can just sort of hear the bow kind of you know leaning against the strings of a, of a cello and it's like so slow and ominous and you know it, it twists your intestines and there's something just really powerful about that Candyman. It feels like we're finally giving Candyman that sort of um, second look, that that appreciation. Uh, again, the Ringer had a nice story about it. D- do you think it's worthy of a reanalysis and us looking back and saying it, it, it needs to be elevated higher up the list? When we talk about you know impactful, influential horror. No question. I think I think Jordan Peele is really the person who put it on a pedestal for people a couple of years ago and Get Out was coming out and he was saying like this is one of the most important horror movies ever made it does what a lot of great horror movies do which is you know it's very scary and it has this trope and it's folkloric but it's also uh, metaphorical and it's about real things in the world and it's this Trojan horse for big ideas about you know race and what we you know the way that we approach um, kind of the difficulties of history versus our modern life and you know, I, I've, I've thought the piece that Manuel Lazic wrote for the, the site was very insightful. And, um, you know, I, I, I love that movie. Do you have a favorite year? I mean, I look at like 1999 with, with Blair Witch, Sixth Sense, Audition. I look at 2017, Get Out, It, you know, Gerald's Game, which was very underrated. Or even 86 with The Fly and, and Henry, which is another kind of disturbing <laughs> disturbing film that if you can get through is 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 very is very impactful. Was there a year or two that stands out as just this is the pinnacle? Yeah, I was gonna say eighty six. I like eighty six a lot because I love the fly. I put Blue Velvet on this list too, which is <laughs> yeah. not a traditional horror movie, um, but is also kind of stretching the definition of that. You know, Henry has always been. Um, uh, I don't. I can't remember when I first saw it, but it it, it fucked me up. Um, Henry is <laughs> it, it's a complicated movie. Um, even something like From Beyond, which is in that sort of gory, messy, um, macabre, sort of surrealist field, uh, I think is like a really fun rewatch as an 80s artifact. So that would be that would be pretty high up there. Um, you know, I think it's hard to argue with 82. Um, mm-hmm. Of course, the Poltergeist, the thing showdown, and and Argento's Tenebrae, and and Paul Schrader's Cat People, and Creepshow, which is also kind of in that, that vein of the horror comedy thing that I, I like so much. So, you know, those are just a couple that I think are good. So I'm kind of a fraidy cat. Like, I'm someone that would watch a horror movie and know this isn't real, it's not a big deal, but then, you know, take my garbage out and maybe hustle back to the house from the curb. <laughs> are you are okay. you, are you you like that, or are you just highly dispassionate, and when the movie's over, you're like, I've compartmentalized it, I'm this is not going to stay with me? I have the same relationship to movies now, to scary movies now, that I have to roller coasters, which huh. is when I was a kid, they were very difficult for me. And they represented some unconquerable, you know, awful, you know, trial of fire. And now I really love roller coasters. And whenever I experience <laughs> a roller coaster, I'm trying to figure out how they work. And so when I watch, how, you know, scary movies, I'm always trying to figure out how they did that. And even the sort of more commercialized films. I'm always impressed by movies like The Conjuring, which is very straightforward, not terribly original, but it has in its design this sort of like this cleverness, the same way there might be some cleverness in the design of a loop and a roller coaster. And so I, ha- I wouldn't say I'm dispassionate necessarily, but I'm very curious and I'm very interested, even if what you're experiencing feels like this throttling, upsetting experience. If finally here, Texas Chainsaw 2. For any horror fan, I just need to ask, and I'm not going to lead this with any of my own opinion. I want to hear yours cold. 
What is your opinion of that film specifically? Um, it's fun. It's fun. <laughs> it's uh, it's. I think Toby Hooper is is essentially a comedy director. You know, most of his <laughs> right. movies are way more self-aware and sort of knowingly schlocky than we think they are. And even though he is responsible for the original Texas Chainsaw, which is obviously iconic and really important and upsetting, and also Poltergeist, which is this sort of, you know, Hollywood classic, um, you know, Hooper made a lot of kind of goofy movies, and he was very sincere about those movies, but, like, I'm sure he's seen Life Force, too, but Life Force is, like, it's absurd. It's just so over right. the top and silly. And The Mangler is like another movie that he made that was so silly. Um, and so I get a kick out of it. I think it's fun. I, other than Rambo, I can't think of another franchise that took one film's tone and went the complete other direction. Because, <laughs> fir- like you said, the first one is a visceral snuff film-like experience that is very unsettling. And the second one is just like, I think they made his chainsaw like half the length of a football field and Dennis Hopper is now like chasing them and they're in this mind. Ch- it's so strange. So I always, I always like to ask true horror aficionados like, where do you, where do you stand on that? I think of it as sort of this batshit crazy experience that if you can just get on board with and say, look, this is what Toby Hooper wanted to do. So just let him, let him do it. I guess. Um, I find it much more enjoyable. Yeah. It, it's kind of in league with return of the living dead, you know, which is right. also, I guess it's a, Dan O'Bannon's, you know, quasi-sequel, not quite sequel, like horror comedy sequel to um, the Romero film, the original Romero film. And it's strange and goofy and weird and has taken on this persona as like kind of a camp classic. I think um, Chainsaw 2 is very similar in that way. Well, you've given us so much time. Thank you for that. And we'll tell everyone to, to go download the Halloween podcast. It's fantastic to go check out all the Horror Week stuff. You, when, when's the next Horror Week coming? When, when are we going to get more of this uh, this devoted content from you guys? Uh, it might not be until 2019. We'll see if I can <laughs> get my colleagues to dive in again. Yes, that's fair. Well, Sean, thank you for making the time. I really appreciate it. Brad, it was my pleasure. This was fun, man. Thank you. When the drama comes, gunshots go. Never been a drug dealer, but I know true killers. Criminals and murderers, Pittsburgh stealers. Chi-town animals, bears and all bulls. No cats in Minnesota that's feared like T-wolves. Dudes carry bats like they played for the dogs. And we are back. In the sports world, athletes, coaches, media, they all do very interesting things. And rather than just call these things the interesting things they are, we label them distractions and tell these people to go back to watching game film. That's ridiculous. So on this show, I celebrate all locker room distractions by telling you what's distracting me this week. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with the horror theme. Uh, we got Netflix recently, which on this show was a big uh, kind of groundbreaking moment, As you, if you know my history of fighting for HBO and Netflix. But we got it done, and let me tell you, The Haunting of Hill House loving this series it is so great and and as others have pointed out it's like the first real horror series that i feel like got it right i mean i liked american horror story for what it was but it always felt more like a camp experiment than necessarily um pure horror but this is man this is like terrifying shit uh, and it's done really well. It's it's artistic, and each episode reminds me of the first season of Lost. Like you're getting an introduction to a character, 
uh, by seeing then versus now, and, and really the story unfolds in a way that lets you know all about them. And, and of course, there's the, the bigger subtext of, uh, of trauma and the horrors that that creates for you. So I can't recommend this enough. Also, with Halloween around the corner, you guys know my love of all things Friday the 13th. I've talked about it before on the show. Just want to rehash and refresh, reground in my rankings of these movies because I, I consider myself the rare Friday the 13th expert. So, okay, here it goes. Any, any conversation that starts with, hey, how would, you, how would you rank the Friday the 13th movies? And I know what you're thinking. Look, I have those conversations all the time. <laughs> and I need information like this. And I get it. I, I'm in those conversations too. I can't walk down the hallway at work with someone without someone being like, yo, Friday the 13th. Part six, part four, what's number one? And I will say this, anyone's top three that does not have part six, Jason lives in it, conversation's over. It's like, you know what? It's like saying, hey, who's the best NFL quarterback? Oh, Joe Flacco. You know what? You can talk football with somebody else, okay? I'm, I got other stuff I got to get to. Part six, amazing. The best, I think, the best looking of the of the series, the funniest, and I think some of the best action, and I, I, I definitely the best ending. Uh, then part two, which I actually think is the scariest and closest thing to a horror movie that we have. Also the first appearance of adult Jason. Then I'd go part four, last, uh, last chapter. And in fact, I might even inverse that. Maybe it's six, four, two, then part one, then there's a big drop off. So we get three, the 3d one great ending. Not, I mean, the rest of it's just kind of like, uh, uh, I like Freddy vs. Jason. I ride for Freddy versus Jason. I know other people don't. Lots of people don't like Freddy in general. But he's less, uh, as We Hate Movies would say, he's less like trying to work out his tight five for the comedy store in this one, um, which I like. Then Jason X, that horrible remake. Oh, that horrible remake. Jason in the underground lairs. Uh, then eight, Manhattan. Seven, the what was supposed to be Freddy versus Jason. They just made it like Freddy versus Supernatural, which... High schooler, uh, Freddy versus or Jason versus Teen Witch is basically that movie minus top that. Then five the the, <laughs> the movie with Roy who's not uh, not not, not Freddy, uh, and then Jason goes to hell, which I think is one of the worst movies ever made. But if you want to check it out, you do get to see uh, Jason explode into bits and a doctor eat his heart. So if that's your jam, you know, no judgment. All right, that is this week's show shout out to sean fennessy from the ringer for joining go check out his work uh, i like the site we've had a number of ringer people on over the years uh go check them out support them download halloween unmasked and uh sean's other uh, a podcast you know he does the big picture i think that's still on channel 33 uh he contributes a lot to the rewatchables which is a rare sort of good movie podcast that i like it's it's got a real casual accessible tone that i think is, is a lot of fun so i would uh, refer to you to check that out as well and let's take one second to preview next week because we had on Natalie Coughlin. Natalie Coughlin, a multiple gold medal winning Olympic swimmer, uh, American and world record holder, record setter, um, someone who just has been an iconic presence in the Olympics and in swimming uh, uh, for, for years. Had her on to talk about all the different things she's doing away from the pool, swimming... All the different things she's doing away from the pool. How about food? She's got a cookbook coming out. So we start talking about how do you make a cookbook? 
how bad is the photography <laughs> process on food styling um, and why she's doing this now. Then we talk about winemaking. She's got a small vineyard uh, and she's out there working it. Like what's the art and science of getting a wine label off the ground? And of course, photography. If you've been on her Instagram, she's got all sorts of really great underwater pics. She's done shark diving. So let's take a listen to her right now talking about being in the water, taking photos with sharks. I did see those great white photos that you've got on your Instagram. So you took those. How do you try to focus on, you know, getting a good shot when you're also just very cognizant of being in another predator's element? It, you know, I'm not saying this to be brave or to sound cool. It's really not that scary. Um, it, and, and, and I, and I'm someone who surfs and I enjoy surfing. I get freaked out when I'm surfing, um, about sharks, um, uh, because you're much more, you're much more at risk in that situation than you are diving with them. Well, plus you, you have the skills to maybe elude them for a lot longer than someone like myself would if there was a problem. So yeah. oh, no, I, I would be I would be just as much food as you would be. <laughs> I'm, I'm a great <laughs> swimmer, but uh, great white sharks or any sharks for that matter, uh, put us all to shame. <laughs> oh, come on. I mean, Phelps almost beat that CGI one, right? <laughs> yeah that i oh my gosh <laughs> yeah no no comment right i'm not starting any swim beefs <laughs> that's right that's right no no swim beefs on this show not 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 talking anything bad about phelps and the cgi shark but come on if you're gonna do a cgi shark can't you at least do something like that 3d jaws 3d that like comes right the screen gets you you mean you're making it up anyway give me something Anyway, had a great time talking to Natalie. That is next week. Thank you, Sean. Thank you for listening. And in the immortal words of rapper Shaquille O'Neal, booty rappers stay booty. Booty. <laughs>